and we are live. Here we go. How we doing, Pack fans? This is Pack Center, your one-stop shop for all things Nevada sports, all things Wolfpack sports. I am your host, Austin Paschke. Like always, I am joined with the one and only Tyler Seth. And not a lot of sports on campus. We're only covering about three of them today, but a lot has taken place here on campus through the football game. We'll get to that just shortly. And then we have men's basketball who competed in the Paradise Jam. We'll be able to recap that. And then looking ahead, we're getting into the nitty gritty into um, their non-conference schedule right before a conference schedule is about to hit. And then we have women's basketball as well. They competed in the Nugget Classic, and uh, we'll be able to recap that and then preview a little bit of their game on Saturday while they uh, open up their conference play against Air Force. So it's going to be a great episode, guys. Stay tuned, and uh, we'll be right back. And we're back ready to rock and roll. We got to dive into some football. We got to touch on what happened on Saturday. What the hell, Tyler? How do we lose to the little brothers down south? How does that happen? I was lost for words. I was in shock. I had my head in my hands up in the press box watching this entire game because I said on the podcast uh, last Monday, we did not have one because of Thanksgiving. Hopefully you guys had a great Thanksgiving stuffed your bellies full of ham. Um, I'm not going to say turkey because that's probably the grossest meat on cam- on the entire on campus, on campus the entire world. Um, turkey is probably the grossest thing. So Amen. hopefully you guys had some stuffing, had some ham, and had a good Thanksgiving. We took that uh, day off to be with family and be with friends, so that was fun. Yeah, a lot has happened in football over this weekend, I said that we weren't going to lose. I thought there was no physical way we could lose. I get it that it's a rivalry game. I get that you can't really predict what's going to happen when UNLV comes up here. But come on. There was so much at stake. You got bowl game that we're now going to drop down in the bowl rankings. You missed out on the first eight-win regular season since the uh, 2010. And they just now there's a sour taste in the entire community's mouth. Yeah. Because of what happened on Saturday. And you have a coach who's leaving the damn program and it's his last game and they send him off with, you know, the cannon in hand. Tony Sanchez is somehow a god the way he beats Reno. Like the way he beats on us is is crazy. Five years, three and two. They have arguably one of the worst teams in the Mountain West. They go three and two against us the past five years? Yeah, it's it's bad. It's horrible. It's atrocious. I just don't know where to start. I mean, there's so many things. We'll get to the brawl later, but there's so many things that makes Saturday, what happened on Saturday, horrible. And um, I've I've seen it on Twitter. Let's just talk to this. Before we break down even what happened in the game, we got to talk about what I've been seeing on Twitter. Because I see a lot of, uh, I would rather see, I saw this verbatim. I saw this on Twitter. Quote, unquote, I would rather see the team go 1-11 and and beat UNLV then go seven and five, playing back to back bowl games, and lose to UNLV. Yeah. How do you think about that statement? Because first of all, I think it's blasphemy to judge an entire season off of one game. But at the same time, it's like to these people and to the community that we re represent, a lot of people care about this game. It's not just a regular game, not by any chance. So, what do you think happened on Saturday? 
Um, just like how do you how do you think about that statement saying okay, you'd well, rather yeah, we'll go start with the statement one first. in eleven? We'll start with the statement one in eleven. I really? Think, yeah, that's that's a little excessive. I mean, obviously, it is UNLV. It is the little brothers down south. It's you know a game that you know fans take very very seriously. Very seriously. Uh, they circle it on the calendar every year. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people buy tickets to that game just UNLV games right. specifically. Um, but to go one in eleven and just beat UNLV in a season would be, you know, an utter disappointment. Horrible. Um, it'd be embarrassing for yeah. our football team for one. Norvell would get fired. Oh yeah, he would be out no the door before ha- the UNLV game, right, most yeah. likely. No matter what happens against UNLV, he's fired. Yeah. So that statement to me is a little ridiculous. Right. I mean, I understand it is a rivalry game, and it's been you know a deep and rich rivalry that has a lot of you know bad blood in between these two teams, as we kind of saw at the end of the game. Um, but yeah, to hear that statement, it's just kind of like, all right, you're taking this one up just a little bit too far. Yeah. And it will, it does mean a lot to this community and attendance for football games has been a topic of discussion throughout the entire year. We've seen it go down drastically. This was the lowest attendance numbers since 1989 yeah. or 1986. I think it was 86. Okay. I was going to say I'm getting one of those, but I mean, that's 30 years now. That's 30 years ago, and that was before the Mackey renovation. Yeah. So six, it was around 16,000 they they announced the attendance. It was like 16,500 around there. I thought there was no way we get below 20,000. 20, yeah. For a UNLV rivalry game, Battle of the Fremont Cannon, everyone wants to see this game. I didn't think it was going to dip below 20,000. 16,000, lowest since before the renovation. I mean, it kind of tell you, tells you where fans are in – the university, we kind of have that mm-hmm. shift going on now to where we're becoming more of a quote unquote basketball school than right. a quote unquote football school like we were in the early, you know, 2010s mm-hmm. um, or late 2000s, early 2010s, yeah. kind of that era, the Kaepernick era, um, where we really became like a football school. And now it's we see kind of this shift ever since Musselman, ever since, you know, what he did turn mm-hmm. the program around. Uh, we see this big shift and it's kind of an interesting thing to watch, but you could definitely see it in the attendance numbers for sure. But it was going down even before the muscle. I mean, I guess that is a good point, though, because you look at 2015, our freshman year, and Polian. I mean, he was he was a horrible coach. God awful. Yeah, let's just be let's just call it a spade <laughs> yeah. a spade. It was he, it was a horrible time for Wolfpack football. We lost to UNLV that freshman year. Yeah, Tyler Stewart's pick six. We always talk about it. And that game was was heavily attended. Packed. And not, and the thing is too, it's not only heavily attended by the general public, it's heavily attended by the students. I remember there we was went no to that one. game and it was raining. It yeah. was a but dreary it was packed. day, but students filled up the stands. I remember our first ever game at Mackey, mm-hmm. we sat on the side, not the end zone student right. section, but the side, the side one. Yeah. Um and you couldn't find a spot. It was just me and you and we yeah. were surrounded by people. I mean and now to see even the student sections today, even when we have Fairweather games, it's you know dropping off. So it's something to be said about you know what our school thinks about football. But mm-hmm. you know, especially for a UNLV game, I thought that you know it'd be packed and yeah, it was horrific. A lot of people out there, but it really wasn't. It was horrific. I mean, you look at the student section; it was horrible. It wasn't even snowing. I get that it was cold, yeah, but I mean, it's the last home game of the season. Like you're not going to see this football team anymore. Um, I mean, we get a bowl game; we're going to watch it on TV, but. Yeah. You're not going to be able to watch him in Mackey, and it was against UNLV, and no one showed up. And, I mean, that's, you're right. I mean, it's kind of like a chicken or the egg question. I saw this again on Twitter. It was like, well, do fans 
come and support the team and then they do a little bit better that brings out more recruits and then the football team starts building or is it like okay we need to see the football team start building and then fans will come out to Mackey and I don't know I mean even a really good season like this a chance at eight wins a chance at a really good bowl game a chance like against the little brothers down south and no one's there so yeah. I don't know I I don't want to go out and say that attendance at Mackey is going to be atrocious for years on but I don't see it getting any better I mean to that point the point you just brought up i feel like our team was you know on the up and yeah, up and we're definitely. playing a rivalry game against unlv and we still can't get the fans out there you that's come yeah the you know that's the weird thing is you know we are a good team yes. if you look at the past you know second half of our schedule we've been you know a pretty decent team and beaten some good teams 24 san diego state we beat fresno state yep. and then to come home and kind of get this welcome no support. was you know yeah. kind of un unruling yeah, and especially – and then what happened later with the fans was yeah. even more atrocious. So the fans, I mean, while we are speaking to you guys, come on. Come on. You know what I mean? It's just like that was – it was – the whole situation was horrible. Yeah. Um, we lost 33-30. to 30. If you couldn't see the score, if you missed the score, if you've been living under a goddamn rock, we lost by three on Saturday. Uh, re- end of the regular season, seven and five. Same as last year's record going into the bowl game. Hopefully we can get out that 8-5 and five record. Um, a great record. I mean, if you get that bowl win, it's yeah. I mean, it's not atrocious by any means. I feel like people are thinking the sky's falling. I mean, 7-6 and six sounds a lot worse than 8-5, and five too. So Definitely. Definitely. When you're getting around game. that, yeah. This, it really, what happened Saturday puts a lot of pressure on yeah. this bowl game, for sure. I totally agree. Um, another slow start. We didn't even get on the board until 13-10 left in the second quarter. We just couldn't find any rhythm on offense, We what we've been seeing. We couldn't run the ball at all. Toa got 15 touches, but he only ran for 43 yards. It was 2.9 yards per rush. Devontae Lee had another all-right game. I think we're starting to see him come into his own. 11 rushes, 44 yards, two TDs. That's around four yards per rush. I mean, Carson had an all-right game. He threw the ball a lot, but, I mean, we were down most of the game, so he had to throw the ball. Threw the ball 54 times, completed the – Ball 33 times, 351 yards, one TD, uh, no interceptions. There's actually, if I'm not mistaken, zero turnovers the entire game. I think yeah, UNLV right. lost the fumble, but then they regained it, or if we lost fumble and we regained it. But I don't think there was any turnovers. A really clean game, and that was something that we, um, I mean, I didn't think it would be a key to get a turnover, but that was, you know, the deciding factor was like, if we would get an interception or a fumble, that kind of would have changed the entire game. But no turnovers. Um, but Elijah Cooks, let's talk about this receiving core who's been bruised and battered the entire year. Fossum out, Romeo Dubs out. Hopefully he'll be back for bowl game. But uh, Elijah Cooks having a career day, 12 catches, 151 yards. First time reaching 100 yards on the year. Um, I went back to his stats. First time... 100 yards his entire career his next best game was against san jose state where he had six catches 94 yards an average of 15 yards per catch but i mean yeah you look at this game uh, 12 catches 151 yards he didn't get into the end zone he saved that for dominic christian who also had a career day with 11 receptions 98 yards and a touchdown i mean while our receiving core did uh very re- very well uh ben putnam stepped up when he needed to as well but I mean it really hurt not having Romeo Dubs and Caleb Fossum out on the field on Saturday I feel like they would have given Carson maybe just one or two more options to throw the ball to it seemed like he was just throwing it up for Elijah Cooks praying that he'd get his one of his uh, spectacular catches and sometimes it worked I think they missed a TD call on the corner um, it looked like he had both feet in it looked like he even came down with the ball but then the the DB stripped it last minute and then 
they called it incomplete. So oh, I think yeah. they missed a call there. I mean, while we did leave some plays on the field, there's no excuse for how we played on Saturday. It was truly atrocious. Some other stats, though. First OT in rivalry history. That was kind of cool. Saw some history on Saturday. Um, kind of hard to believe because how many games we've played. But, I mean, truly, it, one team has been really good. One team has been really bad. And I guess this year it was just both teams were kind of mediocre. Yeah. So um, went to over, OT. First time in rivalry history. UNLV averaged 5-point yards per rush, and I think that's kind of the story of the game. When they needed a first down, they just hand the ball off, and um, Charles Williams just yeah. just did his thing. And uh, we couldn't stop it. That was a point where I didn't even think we'd need to bring up because our D-line and our linebackers have been so good stopping the run that I thought that we'd be able to take care of business. But uh, they ran the ball very efficiently, and that really hindered our defense to be able to get off the field let the offense come back on and do their thing. UNLV nearly had the same amount of yards as we did, but they had 35 less plays. I mean, yes, you could account that for the, uh, what was that, 75, 80-yard rush up the middle by yeah. Charles Williams. Um, there was another long ball by uh, Oblad to a wide receiver. I mean, that was that was a long shot as well. So, I mean, you could take some of those yards away from those plays that we missed, but still, I mean, that's a lot of yards to make up and 35 less plays, and... Our defense had no answer for Kenyon Oblad and their passing game. Oblad only passed the ball 22 times, but he completed 16 of those passes, 229 yards, three TDs, zero INTs, and it was a 75-yard shot for his longest uh, TD or his longest pass of the game. That was a TD. Absolutely amazing. I mean, to only throw the ball 22 times that efficiently, uh, crazy. And then Charles Williams, 20 attempts. There's that all-important 20 that uh, our running backs need to get to. But he had 140 yards, one TD, absolutely went off for the UNLV's offense. Um, was it just our secondary just not being able to step up? I, but, I mean, they ran the ball all, all over us as well. So it might have been a, just a complete lay of the egg by the defense on Saturday. I don't know if it was our secondary or if it was our D-line, but one of the two or both of them just did not step up on Saturday. Yeah, no, I think it's a combined effort on the defense, really not making plays on, you know, both, you know, ends of defense, you know, up front and then deep as well. Because usually we'll see our, you know, our defensive line really step up and then we kind of force them into, you know, second and long, third and long, those passing downs where we know what's coming. Our DBs can be prepared and uh, defend and defend pretty well as they've done the last couple of games. But this, uh, you know, on Saturday was a different story. Our defensive line couldn't really get any stops going, and that allowed UNLV to kind of mix some things up. Um, our defense really didn't know what was coming. It kind of looked like out there, and then, mm -hmm. you know, you see that reflected in the score. Yeah, and when our offense would take over, I mean, it looked like they didn't, had no clue what to do either. I mean, we couldn't run the ball. Like I said, the only plays that were actually working for us would be the Carson to Elijah Cooks. Just huck it up in the air. Hope Elijah comes down with it. Sometimes it worked. Sometimes it didn't. We just looked lost on Saturday, and um, it was truly just disappointing. But UNLV's firing a coach that's arguably – if you I mean if you're looking at it from a Reno perspective, he is the GOAT coach at UNLV. I mean, 3-2 and two against us, like we had no uh, answer for his – UNLV teams when they would come up here we'd go down there they would take care of business so they are firing arguably the best coach UNLV has ever seen in football it's a big argument but yeah but I mean if you're looking at it from a pure <laughs> Reno standpoint no, yeah, they're firing a coach who had the most success against the Wolfpack and uh, but he's gone that was his last game on Saturday and then we saw the ending which was the brawl 
that was started, you could see it in all the videos, it basically started with the touchdown in OT to win him the game. And then you see Kenyon Oblad running in the our south end zone, and he ran past Austin Arnold, said something in his face. You could see him turn. He said, he said something. Then he turned back and went to take off his helmet. Austin Arnold came back and either pushed the blank out of him or he punched him in the face. See, I think he punched him in the face. I actually I saw a sideline video that was taken from the home sideline. It really looked like a shove, like a okay. very hard shove. But, but it, yeah. the, I know that video you're talking about, the end zone video. The end zone video. That you kind of first see who started it. Yes. It was Austin Arnold. It definitely looks like a – it looks like a swing, but yeah. from the sideline video, it it definitely looks like a shove. But I mean, it could it could go either way. You right. can call it a swing or a shove. The it was a spark for sure. Definitely, that's what started the entire thing. You and you you don't know you don't know what he said to him. You don't know what prompted him to say like I'm gonna shove this guy or yeah. I'm gonna punch this guy. But I mean, either way, you can't respond in that manner. That's just it was a bad thing to see. But a little bit of backstory, I would say, is Austin Arnold's from Vegas. So he had a lot of emotional stake in this game. A lot of people do. You know, Nevada, they like to cross-recruit. I mean, there's a lot of Vegas kids that come up here and play for us. There's a lot of kids from Reno that are interested in Vegas that they they recruit up here as well. So there's a lot of emotional investment in this game. And you could definitely see that from the video. Kenyon Oblad went to Liberty High School in Vegas. Austin Arnold went to Bishop Gorman in Vegas. Liberty just beat Bishop Gorman for the first time, I think, in like 10, 12 years yeah, or something like that. Time. A long time. Bishop Gorman handed Liberty. Um, and those were the best two teams in Vegas, arguably, Liberty and Bishop Gorman. So that's kind of weird that you would see those two people from those two teams start what was arguably the biggest um, post-game scuffle, biggest post-game brawl since 95. We weren't around then, but a lot of people were talking about the brawl in 95. That was a lot like this one. I guess a helmet was thrown at Alt, people throwing stuff. Dude, it was crazy. I didn't even know anything. thrown at Alt. Yeah, I guess. I just imagined Coach Alt just yeah. getting a helmet tossed at him. I guess a UNLV kid who was from Reno went down to UNLV, played football, threw a helmet at Alt in 95 or 94 or whatever. It's like, why didn't you recruit yeah, me? Yes. <laughs> and that's what, I mean, there was, I mean, you saw it at Saturday, beer yeah. bottles being thrown. And that's just. Something that does not look good on on Nevada football. I mean, to be to have those fans like this. Granted, it's probably like three to five percent of the fans that would do something like this. A lot of fans love Nevada football and basketball that are they just like going to the games and they're really passionate, but they're not going to throw stuff at yeah. at kids. And but we saw that that's that's very not Nevada football. That's something we don't like to see. But it was unfortunate we saw that. And yeah, just a crazy brawl. I mean. Fans pulling off helmets on UNLV, that's just not what we like to see at all. A horrible, horrible ending to this game and uh, something that I have personally never seen before. It was kind of crazy. I was like, holy crap, what the, yeah. the hell is happening right now? I mean, and it's it's an unfortunate ending to a really good game. I mean, you could look yeah, at it, it from both game. sides. It's you know, It was a really hard-fought game, and it went down to overtime, like you said, the first in our history. Yeah. Something that was really cool and would have, you know, obviously it's a heartbreaker for us Nevada fans, but yeah, that's unacceptable for fans to be interacting with players in that manner. Uh, I think Chris Murray was talking about it on NSN today. They kind of did a little breakdown, and he was kind of saying, too, something I agree with. You know, you can yell all you know you want at him. You know, you suck. You don't know, be blah, 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 all this stuff. But there's a pretty big line that you need to, you know, not cross as a right. fan. That's like, you know, physical interaction with yes, players and definitely. stuff like that. So, yeah, that's something a little disheartening to see from some of the fans in um, south end zone. Yeah, the zonies. They the like zonies, to call them. yeah. 
the general admission kind of area where right. it gets pretty rowdy in there. And I love being up there too. It's a really fun place to watch a football yeah, game. Fun. But um, yeah, just an unfortunate situation. And you know, it could have been handled better by both teams. I mean, right after the touchdown, you see, you know, a group of twenty UNLV players yeah. run right next to you know the home sideline where right. the Nevada players are, and obviously taunting and stuff like that. So, you know, both sides were kind of at fault here. Definitely. Obviously, Austin Arnold started it. Uh, we're not going to deny any of that. But um, just, yeah, an unfortunate ending to, uh, you know, what was a pretty, you know, pretty good game, fun game to watch. Definitely disappointing. It was interesting to watch, and it was arguably one of the most interesting things I've seen at a Nevada football <laughs> game from my time being here. But definitely something we don't like to see. It was just a pure emotion. I, I mean, football's a game of emotion. Coach said it after the game. There's a lot of emotions flowing, and unfortunately, that's what happened at the end of the game. But while I do think Norvell is 100% safe, I think his job is not on the line. I think he's shown this community that he can win. I think that he hasn't done such a good job at showing that he could bring the community out to Mackey, but I think his job is safe. Matt Mummy, on the other hand. When you have the head coach start taking over playing calls, why do we have an offensive coordinator on the field? I'm, tr- I'm truly wondering that. Like, w- when you have Jay Norvell calling offensive plays, doing the job of an offensive coordinator, why do we have Matt Mummy on the sidelines just kind of standing there for it? You know what I mean? I get it's a joint effort, quote-unquote, but, I mean, I personally believe Matt Mummy's on the way out, and we're going to bring in a new offensive coordinator next year. I think Jordan- Jay Norvell's safe. But I think there is some things that need to be looked at after this loss, and I think Matt Mummy's job security is one of them. The whole season we've talked about offensive sputter, offensive sputter, and you know even the last couple of years we've been more of a you know defensive-minded team. If you look at it, you know throughout the whole season. Right. So I I agree with you there. I think it could be a little shaky for Matt Mummy coming up here. But yeah, I I don't think Jake's going anywhere. I mean he's you know had this team you know back-to-back bowl games. For uh-huh. the f- First time ever. Yeah, so first like, time uh, since the alt era, I believe. Alt yeah. era, that's right. Yeah, so, I mean, back-to-back bowl games, potential at back-to-back eight-win seasons. Had a chance to finish, yeah. you know, at a nine-win season this year. Crazy. So, even though he isn't drawing fans out to Mackey, I don't think it's really his fault. I mean, he's doing everything he can. This team is a winning football team. Mm-hmm. We have a winning record. We're going to bowl games consistently now. So, I think he is going nowhere, but I agree. I think Matt Mummy is... Kind of in a hot seat here. He's going to really have to, you know, save some face, um, you know, with this university to, you know, stay on the coaching staff. But but we're going to see it's going to be kind of an interesting offseason. Obviously, we still have a bowl game to play. Yep. Um, a lot of things can change in that time. But uh, it's going to be kind of something to watch as we enter the football offseason. Definitely. And come Sunday, we will know where we are playing our bowl game at. We have a couple Mountain West bowl games. We are solidified in a bowl spot. I think that is something that's getting misconstrued around Twitter. I saw some people saying, oh, do you think we could still get a bowl spot? We are in the bowl, guys. Seven wins cements us in a bowl. We just don't know where we're playing yet. Yeah. And uh, seven wins definitely drops us in the caliber of bowl that we'll be playing in. But we are going to be playing in a bowl game. We'll be able to, I guess, preview that on Monday when after we – we hear about that on Sunday. We'll be able to look quick looks at it, but but then we'll be able to preview the full thing before the game. But crazy end to that game on Saturday. Unfortunately, we did not get the win. It definitely is going to put a bad taste in people's mouths when talking about this season, that is for sure. But the only thing we can do is look ahead, and uh, we'll be able to preview the bowl game when it comes out. Let's talk about some women's basketball, though. A bright spot in our school, except on uh, Sunday. 
or yesterday, that is for sure. Yeah. But the first game of the Nugget Classic was was solid. I mean, took care of business when we needed to take care of business. Sure, Chicago State's not the best team. Haven't won a game yet this season, but uh, you need to take care of the games that you need to produce in and take care of, and we did. Uh, 80 to 60, that was on Friday, and then we had a break on Saturday. We were back last night. We didn't play our best game against Chicago State. We committed 20 turnovers. We only shot 55% from the free throw line, definitely leaving a lot of points there. But balanced scoring helped the pack advance the championship game. Marguerite Effa, Deja Hamilton led the pack in scoring with 11 points each, followed by Nia Alexander, who had a decent game uh, last night as well. Rebounding was another big factor in this game with the pack out-rebounding the Cougars 44-32. to But yesterday... Definitely a different story. We fell to SF Austin by a score of 80-65, to 65, our first home loss of the season. 15 points, the biggest loss on the season. Just kind of a disappointing game. You thought after the first quarter we were going to have it. I mean, we were playing great offense and um, all right defense. I think both teams are shooting like 70% after that first quarter. It was just pure offensive game. They definitely won the second quarter. They beat us 23-13 to 13 that second quarter, and then they just didn't look back. Having big games for us was Essence Booker and Imani Lacey, who had 15 and then 17 points, respectively. Other than those two, Nevada had trouble scoring with only one other player in double digits, and that's Nia Alexander. A big factor in this loss was rebounding. We lost that battle 42-22. to Out-rebounded by 20 rebounds, you cannot win the game. Not even close being out-rebounded by that much. And then points in the paint, uh, we hurt, that hurt us as well. SF Austin had 48 compared to our 16. My overall kind of look at this past weekend, what happened for our pack team is um, we need someone else to step up. We need, while we do have so much balanced scoring, while we we have so many people, I mean, Levin talks about we have 10 people that could start. We have so much depth. We have so much this and that. That kind of hurt us this weekend. We don't have... Like, while Essence Booker is kind of our go-to scorer, we don't have anyone else besides that. We have people that can put up 8 to 11 points on the scoreline, but we don't have a prolific scorer outside of Essence Booker that can really help in this type of game. Like, Essence Booker had an all-right game against SF Austin, but we need someone else to really step up and be like, yeah, I'm going to score 18 to 20 points this game, and I'm going to put the team on my back, and we just haven't seen that so far. Yeah, I mean, I agree. We don't really have a number two, and that's really important when, you know, when Essence goes to the bench, mm-hmm. who's going to score for this team? And that's something that's kind of been kind of a by-committee thing as we've seen the first, you know, five or six games of this season. But obviously, balance scoring is good, but I do think we need a number two. You know, we need another go-to when Essence is on the bench. Either, you know, maybe later down the season she gets in foul trouble. You know, her minutes may go down a little bit, you mm-hmm. know, resting a little bit or something. You know, that all the load management talk in the NBA. Um, but, yeah, we do need a solid number two. And that's where I think, you know, Marguerite Effa could come in big. I think yeah. I really like that one-two punch. You know, you have a guard who can really do everything and score. And then you have a, you know, Marguerite Effa down low who can, you know, provide post moves and really get those points in the paint. Um, so I think I'd like to see her kind of step up a little bit more being, you know, the senior that she is, you know, the transfer from mm-hmm. USC, big name school. You know, we'd like to see some more bigger production out of her kind of step into that number two role. But um, right now it's just kind of a committee thing. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world, but I think, you know, teams start looking at us, especially in the Mountain West. It's going to be, you know, if we shut down Essence Booker, we can easily, you know, beat this team. Yeah. Nia Alexander 
Oh, excuse me. Imani Lacey had a big game against uh, SF Austin. 17 points, two blocks, three steals, four rebounds. That might be someone who can play down low and pair with Essence Booker nicely, and that could score some points for us. But overall, it just wasn't a good day on offense. I mean, you look at the second half. We went 7 for 26. That's a 26% shooting in the second half. And then you look at SF Austin. They didn't drop below. Uh, oh, they dropped below 50% shooting in the second half, but they only they stayed at around 43. That gave them 52% on the overall game shooting the ball from the field. Just very, very efficient, and that's something that also I'm kind of worried about is our defense. We forced them to turn the ball over 20 times, but it was it was more like they were shooting at will and they were, everything was dropping, which was a point of emphasis. I mean, we knew they were going to be able to hit their shots. It was just if we were able to defend against that, and we definitely weren't on Sunday. That is for sure. But looking ahead, we have our first Mountain West game of the year against Air Force. We said it earlier, Air Force is a weird school. We play both men's and women's basketball. Our first Mountain West game is against them, and then we have some more non-conference games, and then we get in the bulk of the conference schedule. Um, But that is Saturday. We're changing up the venue a little bit. We're throwing it old school. We're throwing it back to the 80s, and we're going to VSG. And uh, Virginia Street Gym, the game is at 2, and uh, full preview to come on Friday. We will not break that down yet, but we'll be able to give you guys all you need to know come Friday. And then uh, first Mountain West game of the year, Saturday at 2 against Air Force. But let's talk about this men's basketball team because holy crap did they put on a show in the U.S. Virgin Islands. I vote, I think Tyler votes as well to just changed the permanent location of of uh, Lawler Event Center to the U.S. Virgin Islands. Yeah, we put it on a truck, yep. throw it on a ship, do whatever, move it there, and find a little island, pop it right there. I agree Perfect. because we played arguably our best basketball in the U.S. Virgin Islands in the Paradise Jam. We won the Paradise Jam, won the entire thing. We did not get to see the Cincy Nevada uh, repeat of the 2018 March Madness. But still good. I'm I'm still kind of salty at Cincy for losing to uh, that Bowling Green. But, you know, it is what it is. We beat opponents by an average score of 18 points. We just didn't even have one close game. Jalen Harris is definitely the MVP of this tournament. He went off 67 points, 19 assists, and 18 rebounds in this tournament. And then Jazz Johnson was looking at the basket like it was a swimming pool he could not miss he now ranks third in the NCAA in threes made with 32 and then Lindsey Drew the point god point goat the greatest of all time uh dropped a double double in the championship who impressed you throughout this tournament uh was it Jalen Harris just kind of taking over this tournament and saying you know what I'm gonna show fans what I can actually do and I'm gonna put this team on my back yeah, I mean, I think that big three, it's hard to kind of look outside of that and be like, who could really you know, right. step up to that? But, you know, a couple other role players, KJ Himes had a really good game. Um, one of the first games they played in the Virgin Islands. Fordham? Fordham, I believe yeah. it was. He had like nine points, four rebounds, stayed out of foul trouble. I really liked seeing that from him. Yeah, we he had, talked he had about 11 that. points that game. Yeah. 11 points. He, he did really good. We talked about that a little bit before, but I like to see that. And then uh, Zay Meeks kind of really stepping up as well, mm-hmm. playing some you know pretty good basketball, coming off the bench, kind of as a sixth, seventh man for this team. You know, Definitely. only being a freshman, it's kind of impressive for him to do. And you know, consistently, you know, 
maybe he's not scoring all the time. His shots aren't going in, but he is getting a lot of rebounds, and that's really helping our team. It's something that we've talked about on the podcast, you know, not being a strong suit. But, yeah, outside of those big three, I'd kind of go with those two guys. But, I mean, Jalen Harris just couldn't be stopped. He, yeah. he looked like, you know, he was a man on a mission. He wanted the, you know, the championship, and I think, you know, this is a big boost for Nevada basketball coming back to Lawler. Yeah, we're five and three on the season now. It was a really big boost to get those three wins. I mean, absolutely killed the team, and maybe this is the future for our basketball team. I mean, it was a really bright spot. Granted, we weren't playing the best competition, but everyone looked like they, you know, stick to their role and did what they were supposed to do. Um, Zane Meeks did look very good. He played very, very well this week this past weekend or two weekends ago now at the Virgin Islands and um, just kind of put the team you know he was like I'm gonna do my role and I'm gonna do it well but the front court is starting to scare me a little bit it looks like we don't have an answer to opponents big men and that's kind of scary I thought John Carlos would be able to fill the role just a little bit better but I mean you look at you look at that Fordham game he had two points uh, you look at the Val Perrieso game one point and then you look at the Boiling Green Championship, he had six points. Uh, but he did put up eight rebounds, which is nice. But you just have to see some front court scoring. And I think that's something that we won't see this season. I mean, you look at Jalen Harris, you see Jazz Johnson and Lindsey Drew being the big three, putting up a lot of points. But I don't think we have like a cemented big man to where we can go to on the low post and say, do your thing, here, put up 15 points, 20 points. Do your thing, and uh, I just don't think we have that. Saw glimpses of it in Robbie Robinson. I haven't seen it since at KJ Himes yet. Zane doesn't really live down low, so you don't really see that. And then John Carlos, where we haven't seen it as well. So if the front court doesn't come along, I think it's going to be a long season, and maybe we're going to be sitting middle of the pack in the Mountain West. But with these games coming up, we'll be able to get a true test and see if you know this break did us well and if we can do a little bit better from uh, what we've seen from our front court down low. But um, we'll be able to get a test on it come Wednesday, but I think that if we don't get our front court figured out, it's going to be a long season. Yeah, I mean, we become one-dimensional at that point. Yeah. We're you know a guard shooting team, and we've kind of seen that from teams in the past where when we're not shooting the ball well, you know, we kind of shut down on offense. We Definitely. really rely on our defense to kind of step up, and that's something that we've had in the past couple of years, you know, with Cody Martin being an all-Mountain West defender. Mm-hmm. We really don't have a, a lockdown defender like that this season that could kind of take away their best player and then like you said down low I mean we're just getting bullied down low defensively as well so it's got to come from somewhere mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter who at this point you know John Carlos Robbie KJ and maybe you know Zane transitions to more of a you know down low player but I really don't like to see that from him you know we kind of recruited him as this you know stretch for mm-hmm. type of shooter so it's got to come from probably one of those three but we need it to come soon and so we can really kind of add to this team yeah. uh not become not become so one-dimensional as we've kind of seen and I think it's unfair to put a lot of the defensive burden on Jalen Harris and like the, our guard play because like you said I mean Caleb and Cody the reason they worked so well together is because Cody did everything Caleb did I mean arguably every but he he scored the ball very well and at will he could score whenever he wanted that's something we see from Jalen Harris we saw it against Bowling, Bowling Green at the championship He'll put the team on his back, and he's going to score whenever he wants. But I think it's also unfair to say, all right, be the Cody Martin of the team as well and be the lockdown defender. I'm thinking it could come from Lindsey Drew. He's a very good defender. We saw it in years past. I mean, he's a really good lockdown defender in the point guard position. But the problem with that is 
a lot of team scores aren't coming from the point guard position. So it's difficult when we get into this, who's going to take on their leading score, you know, defensively. And it, it might be like a zone, just a team effort kind of thing that we see later on. But as of right now, it's hard to really pinpoint who's going to step out and take that role defensively and say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to stop their leading score. We saw it with Zane against USC's big man, but I mean, it's like, how many teams are we going to play where their big man is their leading scorer and who is their dominant playmaker? We saw it against USC, but we won't see it a lot of in Mountain West play. I mean, Colorado State with uh, Nico, but I mean, it's like, how many teams are we really going to see where Zane Meeks can say, I'm going to, I'm going to stop their leading scorer. So that is something to look forward to as well. And then uh, we'll be able to see it on Wednesday. We play Santa Clara. I believe that is, yes, it's at home, 7 p.m. on Wednesday. We play Santa Clara. They were picked to finish fifth in the West Coast Conference. Um, we know the West Coast pretty well. I mean, we know Gonzaga. There is uh, Pepperdine. There's St. Mary's. There's uh, BYU. So we play a good amount. I mean, we play St. Mary's. We play BYU. And then we play Santa Clara, too. So we play a lot of these teams in the West Coast Conference. Uh, they're picked to finish fifth, so kind of mid-tier. We'll be able to see, you know, how our team does against a mid to top-tier West Coast Conference team. Some notable games thus far. They haven't played the best of teams, but they played Washington State out of the Pac-12. They beat them by eight, and then they lost to Stanford, who was also out of the Pac-12. They lost to them by 18 points, so kind of all over the map. But if you like scoring got to come out to Lawler. That is for sure because there's going to be a lot of points scored in this game. We rank 34th in the NCAA in three-point attempts. Santa Clara ranks 45th. A little reference for you guys. There's 350 teams in the NCAA. So we are definitely like top. 350 teams in Division I basketball? Yeah, uh, in the NCAA, uh, out of where the stats are taken. I'm pretty sure it's D1. I uh, think, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it was, it's D1. I thought it was just D1. Yeah, NCAA. I mean, you have 64 in the tournament too. So Right. I mean, there's a, I mean, there's yeah. a lot oh, okay. of teams to, to draw sense. from. Uh, so we're definitely top third in three-point attempts. So there's going to be a lot of shooting. If you like three-pointers, come out to this game because there's going to be a lot of them. They're also not horrible on the defensive end. Uh, they rank 86th in scoring. They only allow 63 points per game. So they're they're pretty stout on the defensive end. They're not a bad team at all. This is going to be a decent team that we see come Wednesday. Um, but they're a relatively young team, just like us. They have zero starting seniors. They have zero seniors even getting minutes. So this is a very young team that we're going to be facing on Wednesday, but one name to look out for is Taj Eddy, who will take the most amount of threes and often leads the team in scoring. He's number two. So if you guys see number two on the court and a ball in his hands, he's probably going to shoot the three. And then I'm just interested to see how we play defensively against this team because this is an offense who could put up a lot of points. And if we don't shut down their scores and their shooters, this game could be awfully close. I have us winning this game, but I think it's going to be a lot closer than people think. I think it's going to be a lot closer. I think they're, this is a decent team that we're going to see on Wednesday. How do you think this game's going to go? I mean, I think we're still riding on a lot of the momentum that we kind of caught off the Virgin Islands. Right. I do think we win. I think it'll be a close game. Uh, I think we might pull away late in the second half, um, going a little scoring run with, you know, seven, eight minutes left in the second half. And I think that kind of separates us from Santa Clara. But this will be a good test. I agree with you. I think – you know, our defense really needs to step up in this game. And it's going to be, you know, interesting to see, you know, how Jalen and Jazz and, you know, Lindsey kind of come out of Virgin Islands. Do they look like they have more confidence in Lawler now playing in front of home fans again? You know, it's going to be something kind of um, interesting for me to watch. But, yeah, I do think we take this game. I think it's it's going to be a close one, but I think we kind of pull away at the end of the second half. 
I have us winning the game 79-71. to And I think it's going to be a close game. It's a little bit more high scoring than Santa Clara is used to, but I think this is we have a little bit of a better offense than Santa Clara is used yeah. to. They didn't play the best teams. They played Stanford. They played Washington State, but those are the two best teams that they've played this season. So they did win their tournament that they just played in as well. I think it was the Cable Car Classic. Uh, that's a that's a hell of a name. So they sounds won- like something in a ballroom. Yeah, yeah. Seriously, the the ballroom basketball games that we've been seeing. Yeah, I think we're gonna win. I think it's gonna be a good game. I think that we can tell a lot from our team because I think while the Paradise Jam was a great tournament to win and we played great in it, I don't think that was the best test for our team. So I think now we start getting into the nitty gritty. I mean, we play Santa Clara, and then on Saturday we have that Air Force game, which is our first Mountain West game. It's at Air Force. And then we have a brutal road stretch at BYU next Tuesday. And then you have the following Wednesday at home against Texas Southern. We see John Jones come out again, uh, old assistant coach for the pack. That's going to be cool. And see John Jones Jr., who was on our team a couple years ago and then transferred with his dad. So that would be cool to see Texas Southern. They're not a bad team either. And then we finish up our non-conference against St. Mary's, who just beat Utah State. So we have a rough gauntlet of non-conference games i think that's really going to tell what this team is made of for sure so um, i think we're going to win 70 what i say 79 to 71 yeah i think it's gonna be a close game i think it's gonna be close than people think um, but we do take care of business it'll be a big win for this team come wednesday any last thoughts before we wrap up oh no Oh no. Oh, oh, oh. oh no. Not so Not fast. Not so fast, dude. How did I forget? We have Pack Player of the Week. Uh, definitely not the most on votes. I mean, there's an hour and 30 left, so it could go up, but we had around 35 votes. Ooh. So definitely not the most. But I was thinking people would probably stay off social media because of what happened in the UNLV game. Yeah, they don't so, you know, it. I'm not, not going to take it personal. So uh, 35 votes. Kind of ran away with this one. I kind of saw this one happening. I mean, yeah. he had a hell of a tournament in the U.S. Virgin Islands. And the winner of this week's Pack Center Player of the Week goes to Jalen Harris. With 60% of the 35 votes goes to Jalen Harris. I mean, that was quick my vote. Ma- quick math. What is that? 65 to 30? Ooh, that's about. So 60 to 35. That's about close to like 20 votes. Yeah. Close to 20 votes. I'll take it. Yeah. So at 60, I, I mean, half of 35 like, is 17, 18. 17, so yeah, 17 around, and a half. Around 20 votes. 20 votes. Yeah. 21 All votes. Right. We'll take it. And uh, quick math. And math. I think he deserved it. I mean, he had a hell of a weekend at Paradise Jam. I mean, 67 points in three games is absurd. And then he was dishing the ball pretty well, as, uh, you know, 19 assists. So. Pretty good weekend from Jalen Harris at the Paradise Jam. Jazz Johnson also deserved that one. Um, but no one from football because of, obviously, of obvious reasons, because of what happened on Saturday. Uh, now, do you have any last thoughts? Mm, no, not really. I mean, go pack. Go pack, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And we'll be able to see a bunch of pack teams in action this week. We'll be able to preview games and recap them as they happen as well. Uh, stay tuned to our Twitter as we oftentimes do live updates of games and we'll be able to break down everything as they happen live. Uh, thank you guys so much for giving us your time. And like always, let's go pack.